Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. to be with you guys this morning. Um, I know in my table discussion, um, we just had a really great talk, and it was such a joy to be with women who are seeking the Lord, who are diving into His Word on a daily basis, and I hope each of you really enjoyed that this morning as well. A little bit about me before we kind of dive in. Um, I have the great privilege of being married to Mark Rojas. Um, He works on staff here as um, the worship pastor. He also does some digital media kind of things, um, or you might just know him as the guy who plays electric guitar, and that is totally cool too. Um, Mark and I have been married for a little over eight years, and we have almost two children. It sounds really weird to say. Uh, We have Eli up there who is almost three and a half, and like Amy said, Elsie Claire will hopefully join us very soon, but not too soon. Not too soon. Um, Just a little background. I worked at uh, Timbal High School for six years as a teacher and a digital learning coach. And last year, really by the grace of God, just before COVID hit, I leapt away from from THS um, and into full-time mom life. So I've been enjoying that ever since. Um, bear with me this morning as we talk through the first four chapters. Um, like Amy said, Elsie could come in any minute, uh, and I might gasp for air or be in a lot of pain or something. So just bear with me. Um, but let's go ahead and dive in here. So I'm sure like many of you, as you were reading through Solomon's story, some questions may have come up. For me, there were four questions Um, that continually kind of seemed to come up. And one of them in that first section was, what in the world is happening with David's last few days? Why is this so bizarre? Um, Other questions mostly related to Solomon. So Solomon is not next in line, and really he has very little to offer the throne. So why Solomon? Um, And you see pretty quickly that Solomon's reign begins with fits of murder and vengeance. And I think that that hardly seems worthy of the king's throne, much less the king to follow David. So again, why Solomon? And lastly, we see a little bit further into kings, um, but that Solomon makes some poor choices about people and treats people kind of poorly. So why is Solomon God's choice? That's something that I really wrestled with as I read through these first four chapters. Um, And I don't plan on answering all those questions this morning. I don't think that I really could. Um, But I can say that I was reminded over and over again these four truths that you see up here. First, that Jesus is our only lasting king. It's very evident in this first section. That God is faithful, that he is sovereign over all things, Um, and that he provides for us wise counsel. And so these are the four things that I'd really like to dive into this morning. And we're going to begin right at the beginning, the first four verses of 1 Kings. We read, Now King David was old and advanced in years, 
And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that my lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shumanite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read through that, I just constantly said, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Um, because David, he's this once great and powerful king. He, we see over and over again that the Lord protected him. And here he is, he's just slowly declining. And it's really such a decline, he can't even keep himself warm. And so I remember him as this king that just a few stories back had conquered so much. He was reveled as God's king. Um, but even David, such a chosen Old Testament figure, um, he is flawed. And he will ultimately not be enough to save God's people. And this should foreshadow for us that kings to come, they will not be enough. That they will decline, they will fail, and they, will flaw- they are flawed. Um, But this should also turn our postures towards the only lasting king, and that is Jesus. He is the only king that we see will not decline. And I think there are many things um, in our our world, people, um, different things, that we can so easily look at and cherish in such a way that we put them at this level of perfect king they easily become our hope's resting place, like I think David was for many of the people. We put too much emphasis on those things instead of emphasizing King Jesus. So we should look at David's story and really his decline here with an understanding that anything and anyone outside of Jesus will fail, that they will decline and fall. And so I was reminded in this, look to Jesus, because he's the only thing that lasts. He's our only lasting king. So uh, we move from David's very obvious decline towards the crowning of Solomon. And we see very quickly and pretty clearly that Adonijah has a right to David's throne, that he is the next one in line to lead. And I think we see a lot of mischief and deceit, really a lack of wise counsel on Adonijah's part, where he goes and he makes for himself this seat as a king. But at the same time, we also see this short and beautiful narrative of redemption. And we are reminded that God's promises come to pass, that God is faithful. So while Adonijah's over here building for himself this great seat as a king, We have Nathan, a prophet who seeks the Lord and seeks to keep the Lord's promises for the nation, as well as Bathsheba, who we likely remember as David's downfall and Solomon's mother. Both of these people are used in such a beautiful way to reveal God's promises and ultimately to put Solomon on the throne. We see Bathsheba used in such a way that she is given space to advocate for her son. She is given space to seek wisdom from Nathan and ultimately used in a crucial way to crown Solomon as king. And so once 
known as a mistress and a mistake, Bathsheba is redeemed as a mother and used in mighty ways. And this should show us that nothing will stand in the way of God's promises. What he says, he will do. And there are four specific places that I'd like for us to look at this morning where we can clearly see that God is faithful and that when he says something, it happens. So the first is 2 Samuel 7, where God uses Nathan to deliver a message to King David. And he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But my steadfast love will not depart from you, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your thrones shall be established forever. So here we see that the Lord promises for David a dwelling place for a nation, an heir to his throne, and to never abandon his people. If we turn our gaze to 1 Chronicles 22, we see that God plainly names this heir to David's throne. It reads, David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest. His name shall be Solomon, and I will give him peace and quiet to Israel all his days. He shall build a house for my name. Here we see the Lord plainly name Solomon as David's successor. He promises to give Solomon a reign of peace and charges Solomon to build his temple, his dwelling place among his people. Looking back at 1 Kings 4.20, we see that God promised to Abraham back in Genesis 22.17 is coming to, ha- coming to pass. In 1 Kings 4.20, it says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. So Israel is numbered just as many as the sand by the sea, a promise that God made way back when to Abraham, where he says, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. So again, we see God fulfilling his promise that Israel will prosper and number. And lastly, we see the Lord's promise to Abraham in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, where we read, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. This is coming to fruition in the time of Solomon. In 1 Kings 4, 29 through 31 and 34, we read, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind, like the sand in the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. The Lord promised to Abraham that his people, the nation of Israel, would become a blessing to other nations. And we start to see this truth take hold through Solomon's reign of great wisdom. Other nations are surely being blessed through this wise king, 
Solomon. So, what can we learn from Solomon's road to the throne and really from much of his reign? I think we should see that the Lord is faithful, that what he promised to Abraham does come to fruition, that Solomon, David's son, who was promised to take the throne, does indeed take the throne. We can cling to God's promises knowing that he will not abandon his people. And I couldn't help but think in this section of all the times in my life that I have so easily forgotten God's faithfulness. And I'm sure that in this moment, Bathsheba could have panicked. She could have done some really weird things to get Solomon on the throne. But instead, she and Nathan, they fall onto God's promises, knowing that what he says, what he said in First Chronicles, he will do. And so once David is reminded of these promises, he acts pretty swiftly to crown Solomon as king. And in the first few verses of 1 Kings 2, we see David give Solomon a hefty charge as he assumes his role on the throne. So let's dive in here just to see how the Lord provides for us wise counsel. It says, When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And in this, we don't read of David telling his son to give great weight to the world's desires or to listen to pop culture and all that it has for his son's life. We see a great king passing the torch to his son and imploring him to be strong and to show himself as a man. And how does he do that? He does this through walking in God's ways being careful to keep his commandments, his statutes, and to meditate on his laws. And this is what wise counsel looks like. It reflects a posture of placing God above ourselves and putting ourselves in a singular place of worship. Wise counsel prompts us to seek the Lord, to find our strength solely in his promises alone. It solicits us to know God's commandments, and to walk in obedience to him and his ways. We should be able to see pretty clearly that this charge from David to Solomon is completely opposite from Adonijah's surrounding himself with a counsel that points him nowhere near the Lord and instead points him towards the desires of the culture and ultimately desires of himself. We also see in 1 Kings 3.10, that Solomon seeks to obtain wisdom from the Lord. We read it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this, for this wisdom. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. 
So again, the Lord is gracious to provide wise counsel, to provide wisdom when we seek it out. Um, sorry. It seems pretty um, quickly that just as Solomon is crowned king, that some murder and vengeance kind of take over the narrative for a while. And I don't plan on speaking to justifying this momentary reign of terror, but I can see time and time again that God is sovereign and that he is sovereign over all things, including the crowning of Solomon. And so be reminded in this that Solomon is God's choice. And despite this murderous and vengeful spree, along with many other failings that we'll see throughout his reign, it is no mistake that Solomon is crowned king. The Lord promised it, and he has not abandoned his people in it. And I'm reminded here in Solomon's start as king that my choice is not necessarily or really ever, in line with God's choice. I have to be willing to not get so wrapped up in what I would like or my choice and instead be willing to cling to the truth that God is sovereign and in complete control, that he is not far off from me in these moments. His plans are always in alignment with perfection. But there are many times throughout First Kings that I found myself mumbling, there has to be a better way. I mean, look at Solomon. Look at what he does. Um, He is the guy that he really just couldn't get it right. And as I was reflecting, I also realized that there are many times in my life that I would mumble to the Lord, there has to be a different way. There's got to be a better way. I just want to forewarn everyone, I will likely cry because I'm pregnant and I'm talking about this. But um, I remember very vividly, Mm -hmm. As I walked through some postpartum depression shortly after Eli was born, it was just a dark time. And as I walked through this, I remember mumbling, you've got it wrong. I'm not fit to be a mother. I can't do it right. Um, And I can remember that I just continually believed and I was held captive to this awful lie that somehow God had got it wrong. Somehow God had made a mistake. And I remember the nights when Eli would just cry and cry and cry and how quickly those nights morphed into daylight. And do you know what Eli was doing? He was crying and it was just so hard. Um, And I just, in those moments, I was floundering. I was all over the place, depressed, detached. I was broken and ultimately completely defeated because I had forgotten these important truths that God is faithful and that he is sovereign, that he is in control, and that he was never far off from me. And it was really in this very dark time that God graciously provided me wise counsel And this counsel came through the whispers of a sweet friend who, she charged me with the truth and just said, God does not make mistakes. He was not cut off guard and making you Eli's mom. He formed Eli in your womb. He chose you and handpicked you to be Eli's mom. And so 
What she whispered to me that day became my battle cry. That wise counsel that she gave me became everything that I had to sustain in that moment. And there were other truths that I repeated time and time again. Truths from his word, like the ones found in Romans 8 that says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, that our victory is found in him. Our 1 Corinthians that says we are new creations in Christ. Or James that says and reminds us that as we draw near to the Lord, he draws near to us. Or 1 Corinthians that reminds us that he is our comfort and that he also gives us strength as we are charged to comfort those around us. And Zephaniah 3, that reminds us that he is with us, and the battle is his. And as I started to chant these truths back into my life, and there were others from his word, I soon began to resurface, to see these truths, that the Lord is faithful, that he is sovereign, that he graciously provides wise counsel, that he is never far off. And so... I realized that I must cling to those truths and also to the truth that Jesus is the only thing that lasts. This ideal perfection in motherhood is not something that I can obtain and that I should instead cling to him. And I will be honest, I'm reminded of these truths even today in the toddler phase, which is also very difficult because it's all about misbehavior and management and redirection, and that can become exhausting. But I remind myself that God is not far off, that he is with me, and he is faithful. I cling to the truth as culture tries to tell me to seek within myself for strength and empowerment. But I know that that's not an option, that there is nothing that I will find within myself to get me through those harder days. It is only within the Lord that I find that strength. And this is where the nation of Israel will find her strength as well. So it's in Solomon's reign that I was reminded again and again that God's plans reflect his sovereignty and that his ways are always better. And while, again, Solomon's reign was far from perfect, he continually points us to a deep need for Jesus, who was our only one true king. The one king who submitted fully to the will of the Father, loved so very deeply for all, and who, unlike Solomon, didn't have to ask for wisdom, but embodied wisdom, for he is wisdom. As I close up, I'd like to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this group of women. I thank you for women's 